Hey y'all, welcome back to the God-Centered Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where we remind you through mentorship, friendship, and discipleship that you don't mom alone. You're listening to week four of the Summer of Mentorship with this week's mentor, Kristen Hatton. Justification is to be made right. So Christ lived the perfect life for us, and then he died that sacrificial death, and then he gave us his righteous robes. I mean, upon us becoming believers, he clothes us in his righteousness. But I think such a key part of that is understanding that it's not just that he died for us, he lived that perfect life for us, and that is what he then gives to us, imbues us accordingly. And so all the time, I mean, it's just so practical that when we feel like we're not enough or that we you know, have to be something more that we send and he maybe would reject us. He still views us according to who he says we are in his righteous robes, that we're holy and perfect. And it's just amazing, really. I mean, I, I, I speak it to my daughter, my kids all the time. They have to know that who they are, they're standing in Christ based on what he did for them, not where they failed or how they think they don't measure up. This episode originally aired in May of 2016, and I chose to have Kristen be a part of our Summer of Mentorship series because of her great work with teenagers. If you have a teen, you're definitely going to check out the show notes because I've linked her book we talk about, which is Get Your Story Straight, A Teen's Guide to Learning and Living the Gospel, and then some newer resources she has. It's called FaceTime is One, Your Identity in a Selfie World for Teen Girls, and it deals with identity, worth, social media, and other teen issues. And then an- another one that's coming out in July called The Gospel-Centered Life in Exodus for Students. It's a 12-week study for small groups, family devos, personal quiet time. Could be great for the fall. Definitely go check that out out. If you're a mom of a young kiddo, this episode is still for you because she helps us build those relationships now so that when our kids are teens, we are able to speak into their lives and remind them of the truth of the gospel. We do talk about teen issues, so here's your earbud warning. And if you listen to some of the episodes in the spring about social media and all the things, you'll notice that a lot of my views haven't changed. (laughs) So... You know, it's a little bit of the same for me, Uh, but great information and thoughts from Kristen. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to visiting with you. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'd love for you to introduce uh, the people listening to your family. Okay, great. Well, yes, I live in Oklahoma. I've been here seven years, but I am a native Texan. Um, My husband is a church planner, so that's what moved us here to um, Edmond. I've got a daughter who is a senior in high school and is going to be graduating in just a few short months. And then I've got two sons. One is an eighth grader and one is a sixth grader. So I'm in the throes of parenting teenagers. Yeah, okay. That feels like miles away for me until I realize my son will turn 11 this summer, and then it's really soon, and then I'm going to have four teenagers, and I'm going to be like, why Why didn't I seek out more advice earlier? I need help now. <laughs> so when you reached out to me, and um, we weren't able to get you on this fall, but I was excited that you reached out again for the spring because help, right? <laughs> right. And even but- for the mom listening who has babies. Help. 
We start now. Start now. <laughs> you do have to start now, and it's not that far away. I mean, yeah. I remember when my daughter turned 11, and I thought, yeah, it seemed like eternity before she would go to college, and it was <laughs> seems like overnight. Y'all, Kristen's written this book, Get Your Story Straight, which is basically a discipleship tool for teens to study God's Word for themselves. What could you tell people listening about that book? Well, I wrote it um, really. I started teaching a teen Bible study with my daughter and her friends when they were sixth graders. So I think she was actually 11, um, 11 and 12 year olds. And I've been with them now for seven years. But over the course of these years, I could not find curriculum to teach them. I would Mm. go to the Christian bookstore and everything just seemed very topical and just a lot of fluff and not a lot of meat. Mm. And so, And then alongside that, these girls who are in churches, I just found that the more I was around them and the more I talked to them about the things of the Bible, they really just didn't know. And I got this feeling that they're just used to being entertained and just kind of not getting a lot of depth. Mm. And so I started taking my husband's sermons and creating Bible study lessons. And that is actually what led to my book was just seeing a need and really feeling passionate about wanting to get Bible centered, Christ centered material in the hands of teenagers. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think when you look where, what are the resources for teens? What are the resources for true Bible study? Yeah, you're right. It was lacking, super lacking. And, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this key thing that we need to be anchoring our kids in Christ. You came to Dallas recently to speak about that and kind of with uh, social media, I know Mm -hmm. there's a guy that, a PhD that came and spoke to our school and he was saying, I'm turning it to it now, that's the paper you hear. (laughs) He (laughs) says, you know, the world that we live in, our kids are getting this new worldview that one, I determine my own truth, two, God's a hobby, Three, I am what you think I am. And that instead, we need to help our kids know God determines truth. God is king, not a hobby. And this last one, you are what God says you are. And if social media is all about, well, my friends say I am who I am, then man, they're going to get swayed here and there. So what advice do you have for, you know, me (laughs) and the mom listening to help us anchor our kids in Christ? Yeah, they have to be hearing who he is for them and who they are in Christ all the time. I mean, certainly we want to be affirming them in our love all the time, too. But I feel like as they become middle schoolers and and high schoolers, all of a sudden their peer influence, you know, is so high. And so even though it hurts to think that they don't care any longer, you know, that mom and dad think they're wonderful. Um, they really, you know, they're listening to their own voice of what they think is true or what their peers they think think is true. And so they have to be anchored in Christ. They have to know who he is and who they are in him, because that is their only true identity and source of, you know, true worth. And you're right. I mean, they're turning to social media and basing their worth on how many likes they get on a post. Um, it's just constant in front of them. They're comparing themselves to their peers. There's so many ways that they can buy into the lie that they are not good enough, that they don't measure up just based on what they see and hear around them. So they have to know who Christ says they are. They have to understand justification. And I think we often don't think 
theology really matters, but there's no more practical theological truth than understanding who Christ says you are, that you're righteous and holy and perfect, and, and this is who he declares us to be. And that's, that gives them rest. I mean, that's what we want, starting when they're little, to start teaching that to them now. So that word justification, in case um, a mom thought, oh, I've heard that before. I don't know what that is. What would be a simple way you could define it for her so she could speak? I know you kind of spoke it out, but specifically, yeah. what would you, what would you even whether you're talking to your child or you're talking to that mom, how would you define that? I would say uh, um, justification is to be made right. So Christ lived the perfect life for us, and then he died that sacrificial death, and then he gave us his righteous robes. I mean, upon us becoming believers, he clothes us in his righteousness, but I think such a key part of that is understanding that it's not just that he died for us, he lived that perfect life for us. And that is what he then gives to us and views us accordingly. And so all the time, I mean, it's just so practical that when we feel like we're not enough or that we, you know, have to be something more that we send and he maybe would reject us, he still views us according to who he says we are in his righteous robes, that we're holy and perfect and it's just amazing, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I speak it to my daughter, my kids, all the time. They have to know that who they are, they're standing in Christ based on what He did for them, not where they failed or how they think they don't measure up or yeah, whatever. That, that when that salvation comes, like when we say, "Okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe He died, He rose again, He's with God now, and that He gave us His Holy Spirit." Like in that moment. When God, the most holy, the most perfect, looks down on us, he just sees Jesus' perfection. Like he, he's, we're, like you said, we're covered almost in that. And uh, it's not of our own doing. So, like all that working and working and working, you know, that we, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. striving to do it right and be perfect. And, but what's tricky, we're never finding any rest because yeah. we're still constantly trying to, yeah, make ourselves better or on our own effort. But then there's this educational system, and it starts in junior high, and I know it gets worse in high school, that you're really working really hard to get that, you know, resume or whatever it is mm-hmm. built up to get into that college. And and it is a lot of working to be right and volunteering. And so how do you speak that over that, you know, preteen teenager who's maybe, okay, yeah, you say this, mom, but then this world is telling me. Nope, it is what I do and how many trophies I have and how many sports teams I'm on and how many friends I have. And I mean, that's the measure that they're measuring by. And I know you keep saying that, mom, but I got to go to college. So how do we balance that? I know that's a real struggle because it is it's true. But I think um, so often that becomes our idolatry and our false identity that all of a sudden we think we are who our resume says we are. Mm. And all of a sudden that becomes our worth and what our GPA is, is our worth and how great an athlete I am is our worth. And so at some level, I think it starts with parents and it starts when they're young, because I mean, just look at athletics. We push them into these you know, just competitive sports leagues from such an early age. And really, they're learning from us. And if that's our priority, then we've made that, you know, seem to them that that is what they need to be and that that's what gives them their worth or that that's what makes them successful. So I really think it's a reorienting of our us as parents 
because they're taking their cues from us. And so many kids, I mean, we see reports of colleges across the United States are dealing with more and more depressed students. And it's just that pressure. They have lived under the weight of so much pressure to be the best in every single area that they get to college and they are just done. Mm -hmm. I mean, they mentally, I mean, there's so much just mental health issues. And I think it's because they have just fallen, finally just fallen under the pressure that they have felt for so, so, so many years. So I think one word I kept hearing you say is worth. Like we could be, you could be on a soccer team, a traveling soccer team. You could do the theater and the volunteering and be excelling and your GPA could be high and be, you could be happy and joy-filled because those things aren't giving you your identity. They are an overflow from who you are in Christ. Yes. So talk to us, like, how do we continue to communicate worth and identity to our kids? Again, it comes from Jesus. They have to know their security in Christ. Mm. Um, I just love, I mean, we just heard it at Christmas time. Um, there's a line in a hymn that says, and the soul felt its worth. Mm. And it's like the soul felt its worth when Jesus incarnate came. And, but it's like, that's just such a beautiful picture to me to, to know that the soul is at rest and knows its true worth because of what Jesus did for us. And so we just are constantly bringing that into conversation with our kids and helping to just bring their eyes to Christ, who he is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you said conversation with our kids and I know you just wrote a great post on why teens don't talk to their parents. Yes. And it's hard to imagine. Cause right now I'm in the season where everyone wants to talk at once and then they start yelling at each other. Like, <laughs> no, it's my And I'm sure some moms listening are like, oh, my kids can barely talk. I wish they could talk because then I would know what they want and they'd stop crying. But there'll come a time, and especially with these devices, where they're going to stop talking to us or they could stop talking to us. So what advice do you have to help us (laughs) make it through to that time so we keep the conversation going? Right, because I know everybody's seen the families, and we're guilty too. Well, I'll look around the living room, and it's like we're all on our devices, and none of us are engaged. Have you seen that ego commercial? The most depressing ego commercial ever. I was like, seriously, the little kid without a device is the one who gets the ego because y'all are on your phones messaging each other. But I think, I think you know, parents start. I'm guilty, and then the kids get them, and and then the parents are like, oh, that's the only place they are, so I've got to text them to communicate. I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think, I mean, all the time I realize that, like, my child has tried to tell me something and I'm busy doing something on my laptop or I'm on my phone having a conversation with a friend. Mm -hmm. And I miss those windows when they want to talk. And this starts when they're young. I mean, it's gotten to where it's now, you know, my kids as teenagers, you know, if you were not available or they perceive you as too busy or only half listening, which I know I also do. A lot of times my son will be telling me something that's not really interesting to me. And Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I really didn't connect. I really didn't hear Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And 
they get to that age where all of a sudden they know, they know that you're not really listening. And so they stop trying. And I think that if we're not making that effort from the time they're much younger, even on those days, like you said, where it's just exhausting, you're like, please, everybody be quiet, <laughs> leave me alone. You know, that yeah. it's, I mean, we really have to be mindful of kind of this longer term goal because when they are teenagers, it's, you know, all of a sudden parents of teens all the time, they're like, oh, how can I get my daughter to talk to me the way yours does you? And, and it's hard to say, you know, that this is something that we've been fostering for years. It just doesn't happen all of a sudden when they're teens. I mean, by the grace of God, it could, but I just think that, you know, most likely they're not going to all of a sudden start talking to you if it hasn't been a pattern all along. So you're saying, listen, I'm listening to you. So you're saying, listen, and then you also mentioned, uh, what are we communicating? So maybe we listen, but then our response to what they say matters. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, it does matter. And I think it's really important that we're asking probing questions to mm. show, one, to show that we're listening, but also to really get deeper. Because I think, especially with my, my daughter will be more direct and she's more in touch with how she's feeling. But with my sons, they may say something and on the surface, it seems like it's just that. But, or for instance, last week, my son, he wanted to come home from school. He didn't feel well. He had a headache. So I, but I made him stay. And then when he got home and I kind of asked him about his headache, it really, it ended up, he wanted to come home because someone had said something that hurt his feelings. Mm. But I would have never gotten there had I not kind of probed a little bit more about the headache, you know, and then it kind of unfolded as to what really was bothering him. Mm. So it takes, yeah, paying attention and really getting below the surface. Well, and also like being a safe place, right? If they tell us something we're not going to like, they were at a place and there was alcohol or there, you know, something that they saw or something they were involved in, do they feel like they could tell us without us flipping out? you know? (laughs) Right. And I think all the time parents are like, you can tell me anything. Mm -hmm. But then if their child does, they act completely shocked that their precious sinful child would have sinned, you know? And and I just, I hear that from my daughter's friends who don't communicate with their parents. They feel like they, their mom would be like overreacting or would be so shocked or so mad and that's not the first response they need, you know, if they, especially if they're coming to us confiding that they've sinned, they need to know that we're for them and that, you know, they need that hug and that love, that reassurance and not more condemnation because they obviously already feel that on themselves. Well, and I think that, again, that starts when they're young. I'm doing this Connected Families course that I've mentioned here on the show, and I've had the people who are doing it on the show, but their first message that they think we should communicate to our kids is you are safe. Mm-hmm. And it's really, and I'm going through the course and it's just like, how am I responding? The anger, anger response is uh, even to little things. You spill milk. Like it's not a sin, you know, right. <laughs> right. but it's an inconvenience <laughs> and it added more time or it, you know, I think when they're little, we can overreact out of a exhaustive, exhausted place or uh-huh. there's so many needs to be met. It just adds more to our plate to have to do physical things. But just that soft response to even things that are super annoying and 
everyone would agree that's a horrible thing that just happened, uh, <laughs> matters. Like, that they yeah. can trust us that we're not going to freak out. My little boy did something, and I didn't freak out. And he goes, oh, I thought you were going to be mad at me. And I was <sighs> like, oh, you're like four years old, and you already have imprinted that I would be mad at you. You know, like that's – I got to win him back. I got to win him back. Yeah, yeah. I've had the same type things. My kids acting surprised when I respond in grace instead of, you know, being upset over something like that, like an accident, you know. Yes, yes. So what tips – I mean, you've kind of talked through it. Like how do you in your house, in the Hatton house, encourage mm-hmm. your kids to talk? I mean, you said probing questions. What other things do you all do? Um, you know, it's – We certainly do not sit down at the dinner table together every single night, but when we do, we really try to have meaningful time together, Um, definitely talk about highs and lows and give everybody a chance to, you know, talk, but also ask questions about those highs and lows, you know, just getting people to open up. Um, We also want to talk about, you know, what you heard in the sermon today, just to help them process it and to help apply it. Um, doing a devotional together. And again, I'm not talking about every single day because I know that that's unrealistic. And I think sometimes we never get started with that sort of stuff because we think, oh, the pressure, we put that pressure on ourselves, you know, but I'm like, you know, I mean, maybe 10 minutes, you know, once a week or just, you know, anything it, in if, the it, car. if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. I've shared that on the, the show before. Like it, 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 even if it's, it's worth doing. It's worth doing, you know, at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I'll tell you, like, I, I mean, I love having a child that can drive, but I miss those car conversations. Yes. I mean, I think and it's important not to be on our phones when we're in the car, because I think that that's a great time to talk to our kids, especially for boys. I think that when they're not having to look you right in the eye, or maybe they're kind of busy or looking out the window. Sometimes I've found that my teenage sons, that's when they talk more freely. Yeah. Yeah. Even this morning, even this morning with my four and six year old, we had some serious like theological conversations on the way to school that I would have missed, you know, and there was actually, they were fighting. It started with them fighting and I could have like responded with a lot of anger and like annoyance and gotten on my phone and and instead, I was like, okay, push into it, push through it. Yeah, yeah. And we ended up in a really good place. But, yeah, it, it does take intention and availability and time. Do you yeah. – okay, you said dinner. I want to go back mm-hmm. to that. Okay. How old were your kids when they all actually sat at the dinner table and engaged in the conversation and it wasn't like a lot of behavior management? Um. Gosh, it's hard to remember. Um, I don't know. And they're probably all a little bit different. Okay. I mean, all of our kids we know are different. Yeah. Um, but we've always, you know, lived un- under the assumption that teaching precedes understanding. So even like if our youngest was not quite tracking with the conversation and he was maybe, you know, more interested in tearing his napkin apart. I mean, he's still, I think, is benefiting from listening and right. I mean, it's the same, I think, in church, you know, I mean, it's like they may not understand everything, but teaching proceeds understanding and there will come a day that they ask. So we've always just talked freely. We have no topic in our house that is, you know, 
off topic. We even when it's come to like the birds and the bees, it's been family conversation. And I'm it's it, it, initially that's really, really awkward. But now I feel like we, you know, in our house, we can talk about anything um, and not feel like it's embarrassing or that we should not say it in front of, you know, her brothers or, you know, just yeah. okay. it's just Funny. all open. Yeah. So I was going through old books and I found a book that my sister had given me. My sister has older kids. They're in college. And uh, it was a questions to ask your kids or something to get them talking. And, uh, and it's divided in sections, preschoolers, elementary and teens. It's like from the eighties or something. And so we'd gone through a couple and it was funny. And then we were cleaning up dinner and my oldest, like grabbed the book and he just flips it open. He starts reading a question out loud. He doesn't realize he's in the teen (laughs) section and he reads out loud. Like, what would you do if you're, if you're, girlfriend wants to have sex before marriage and he turns bright red and we're all laughing and I'm like I think you're in the wrong section buddy like fortunately because uh I've had on the show Mary Flo Ridley who's Uh from Dallas I don't know if you know her but she's awesome and we've been talking about this for a while so but it was and it was fortunately my 10 year old and my 8 year old who a little more knowledge than my six and four year old. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, you know, like an interesting way to just have yeah. that conversation right there and uh, laugh about it and not be, I wasn't acting embarrassed. And he, you know, anyway, right. I think you're right. Like she says, to keep a calm look on your face and say, I'm so glad you asked. You know, like mm-hmm. this isn't shocking to me. This is just what people talk about. And, I'm your resource instead of your peers. And so um, wanting to stay their resource. Yes. Right. right? So you, uh, you know, but going back to that social media, what kind of things have you had to deal with? And you don't have to, if anything's personal with your kids, you obviously don't have to share, but like what situations have come up that have been challenging and how have you handled them? Um, you know, I will be very honest and tell you, my daughter actually has struggled with an eating disorder mm. and how I, re- I mean, she came forward and told me about it, but what I, why I didn't see the signs ahead of time is because it was all how she was internalizing posts that she saw on Instagram. Mm. She was looking at her friends and thinking they're prettier, they're skinnier, or, oh my gosh, there's a group of them at something that I wasn't invited to. And she was just constantly comparing herself. And it was just feeding that lie that she was not, she didn't have worth, that she didn't have value. And how it manifested itself for her was an eating disorder. Mm. And so what I told um, the group that I talked to just recently on social media, social media is really not the problem as I mean, is eating disorder, drugs, all these other things. They're, they're, they're symptoms of the real problem is the sin in our heart. And mm-hmm. so I think it's so important that we're, that we're getting into inside our kids' heads and knowing how they're processing things, what they're thinking. Um, because if we don't deal with the heart, then we can never deal with all these other issues that stem from social media or anywhere else. Well, and how great that she could come to you again with that conversation being open. Uh, and with that group of girls that you were teaching, was it a conversation y'all could have together 
Did she share with her friends or was it? She did. Yeah. She actually has been very open about it. Mm. And um, it's been really just to see she's on the other side of it now, but just to kind of have seen the whole process that even when she was in the midst of her brokenness, that she was still like not wanting anyone to have to go through the same kind of thing that she was, was not letting shame keep her from letting people know what was going on and, um, just kind of in secrecy, other people came to us and I realized, wow, there are so many more people struggling with this than I would have ever known, but people, you know, keep it. It's, it is one of those things that is so private and not mm-hmm. talked about very often. Yeah. 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 I think it's, I mean, I'm confident there is a mom listening, confident, several moms listening, many moms listening <laughs> who that's their story and maybe still haven't told, like maybe still haven't had that conversation with a friend or family or anyone that that is a struggle that they've had and there is shame with it. And, uh, you know, like you're saying an identity, God is not, he's not shocked and he does not see it as shameful. He is sad because you, you know, precious daughters who, who have, you know, turn their eyes from how he sees them. And and so what messages did you speak over your daughter? What did you point her to? Was there a scripture or what was the journey to help her get healing in case someone is listening and still is still waiting for that healing? Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't one in particular scripture, but like I said at the beginning, justification, knowing who she is in Christ, she really had to wrestle with that because Mm -hmm. she was, honestly, she was mad at God that she was struggling with this, that this was her issue. And um, she had to come to terms really with who he says she is instead of who she thought she was or how she thought she was. Or how she thought she should be, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, so... um, I mean, just so much prayer. It's definitely a long journey, but one very practical thing that helped her in the midst of just feeling like she didn't even want to read her Bible and she was angry and, um, she started keeping a journal and trying to find those things that she was thankful for, kind of like Ann Voskamp's, you know, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. finding joy. And initially that was really, really hard for her to even find anything because she was just so not in a good place. But, Mm -hmm. um, Eventually, it was little things like how my coffee tastes in my favorite mug or, you know, the cat staring in at us sitting on top of the grill, you know, outside our kitchen window. I mean, just little things. But the more she made that a habit, the more she was seeing joy and Thanksgiving all around her. And that really helped transform how she was thinking because she had been thinking such negative thoughts Mm -hmm. and just dwelling on the negative and how, you know, she didn't measure up and how she wasn't perfect. And, Mm -hmm. and so it just gave her a shift in her focus to be looking for the joys and then being able to go to God and be thankful. And she would even say now, even though she would never want to go through it again, she is thankful that she's had to because of how big she sees him and how much more rest she has in knowing her identity in him. Wow. Okay. So, so great. So are you guys going to write about that? (laughs) That to me seems like there's a limited market in that arena. That would be helpful. (laughs) A mother, daughter, let's, I mean, not to put a book in your hand that you need to write, but (laughs) I think that that is definitely uh, helpful. Did she find too, this is another question that she needed to stop 
looking at Instagram? Did she have to kind of cut herself off from some of those social media things? Yeah, good question. Actually, she did by her own initiative. She deleted all her social media apps for a time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was so helpful because it just was feeding that same, you know, just the lies to be on there. And so she knew for her healing that it was just best that she not be on it. Mm. So, and now she's at a place that she can't, she it's in its proper place, you know, it's just like any idolatry. And so in that moment in time, she just couldn't, it was too tempting and it was too destructive to her thoughts. But thankfully now she's, yeah back on and it, not thankfully she's back on, but you know, she can, she can look at it and not feel, exactly, not feel those same ways. Okay. So girls, we see how that can impact them. The relationship I've, I'm FOMO, fear of missing out and the identity and, uh, our body image and those kinds of things with your boys. Have you seen, um, any negative impacts that we should, you know, as moms be watchful for? Yeah, you know, I think boys are more similar than we realize because I see these middle school boys posting just as frequently as girls, and it's all these um, like TBH, which is to be honest, they want you to comment TBH. So they might put a selfie with a TBH hashtag TBH, and they want you to comment back to them something, say something honest about them. And I mean, it's like they're looking for affirmation and Mm. worth based on other people's comments. Mm. And so boys are struggling with this too. And I just think that a lot of times, you know, we see how girls do and we miss that our boys, you know, are really struggling too. Well, and if God made boys to be warriors and strong and battle and, you know, they're not getting that in our culture. Right. They're not getting those muscles used in the way they're not even working on a farm anymore. They're like (laughs) the way that, you know, not to be sexist, but for all of history, boys have been physical. Right. And now the only physical outlet they have is sports. And that's not always healthy. Mm -hmm. And the aggression is coming out there or the aggression's coming out, you know, in peer groups and they're not getting a healthy release of that physicality. And then they're also, if that's where their identity came from, right? Like, you know, something physical they were doing, whether, I don't know, hunting or whatever it was. And now they're not, they've got to like, look to others to tell them they're amazing. Right. And they are, they're trying to, yeah, secure it, whether it's, you know, being the best athlete or going on to Instagram and, or another thing I see is guys, um, that they find their worth by being surrounded by lots of girls. Like their friends are all girls, you know, they feel more popular or better about themselves because they've got all these pretty girls that are their friends. Mm, Wow. Wow. Okay. So I'm hoping social media just goes away by the time. (laughs) Which it won't. (laughs) Which it won't. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So how do you help your boys in that? Do they Um, post TBHs? No, they don't. Um, Did you talk to them about it? Did you say this is ridiculous or did, I mean, I'm sure that that's judging and lecturing, (laughs) so that doesn't help, but yeah, but I mean a lot. And this is why I say that if your teens or if your kids are on social media, you need to be there too. Mm -hmm. And so I, 
follow their friends. And so I really watch and see what other people are posting. And those are conversations we have in our family all the time, not to be judgmental, but to just be like, I saw that post from so-and-so, how'd that make you feel? Mm -hmm. Or why do you think, you know, they posted this and to really help them see and analyze, you know, of course, we don't know other people's heart or intention, but I think it or can how it comes them. across. I mean, you may not know how they thought, but you can know how you feel, like you said. Yeah, and it. help them see why someone might be, you know, posting a certain something is because they're looking for affirmation and just mm. giving them those categories mm. to see. I really want my children to understand idolatry and to see what they run to, to see what they're trying to find identity in mm. and just constantly. So I use social media a lot, like things that I've seen to you know, bring up conversation with my boys. Well, and as adults, we need that help too. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, do. does everybody need to know that we all hung out tonight? Is that something that everybody <laughs> needs to know? Or can we just all take a picture because we want to remember and not post it? Like, does it need it? How is it going to make everyone who's not here feel? Is that right. necessary? Um, I've kind of taken a social, I mean, I try to from like Friday night to Saturday night, just like don't post anything. And I've noticed that it, it even changes like how I engage my real life on that day (laughs) at 24 Mm. hours, like not just looking for the best picture moment, but enjoying the moment for Mm -hmm. what it is. And, uh, you know, I think that there's value for our kids not just be like, Oh, let's take a picture of that coffee. Cause it'd be a good picture for Instagram, but let's enjoy the coffee (laughs) or let's not spend all our time trying to get the best selfie. Let's just be together. I think, you know, yeah. I think there'll be a backlash, probably. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I can't tell you how many times I've had like 20 teenagers sitting in my living room and they're all on their phones, not talking. Mm. And then they'll all pose for this picture. And like, if someone saw it, they would think that that had been the most fun night in the whole world. And I'm like, no, you don't really know. They really. <laughs> <laughs> you should have your own account. The behind the scenes of that selfie. Yeah. The exactly. Selfie behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have like a rule, like basket or something? People talk about having a basket at the entrance of the house and everybody puts their phone in there or anything. Um, not hard and fast. We have definitely done that. My daughter's had summer parties and we've done that. And we certainly, and we don't do phones at the dinner table, but, um, I try to just kind of organically, you know, if I sense that we need to put phones away Mm -hmm. at a certain moment, but not, you know, be too legalistic about it. And it is hard to parent other people's children. You know, I mean, we can certainly have our household rules, but it's, it gets a little, you don't want to be that mom. You don't want to be that mom. And then you have to be, uh, I had Sally Clarkson on, she was saying you need to create an environment that is engaging and fun so that they don't miss it. Right. Like she had a teen thing where they went around with their phones, but they had like a scavenger hunt kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're using their phones, but it was for a purpose and a common goal that was more fun than just scrolling. So, yeah, yeah, I think, okay, we haven't talked about something really tricky with boys, which is pornography, which is makes me really nervous since I'm on Instagram, uh-huh. seeing anyone young or even teen boys, any of my friends' kids, it makes me really nervous because I know even if your account's private, even if you know every single person they're following and who's following them, all they have to do is put a hashtag in. Simple. Right. And right. they can see horrible things. Like, yeah. And other, you know, they can get to an account, you know, even though they're not following the person. Right. 
Oh, yeah. It's way too easy. And I don't think anyone knows. They think, well, they have a private account. Well, I know everyone they're following. Nope. That's not how it works. It's not yeah. how it works. Well, and there's the app, the calculator app, that you can hide pornography behind. And if someone looked at your phone, it just looks like a calculator. That's neat. I didn't so, know about that one. Yeah. So how have you all talked about that conversation in your house? Well, you know, since my husband was a campus minister um, years ago before we moved to Oklahoma, I mean, we saw, how, I mean, just the high, high percentage of guys that struggle with that, even believing guys. And so we've always talked to our sons about, you know, God created you to be attracted by sight. Like, I mean, just putting it in that, you know, we understand that it's that a temptation. A yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're created this way. So we don't want them to feel dirty that they, you know, that that is, that is how God made them. But Mm -hmm. we also want to talk about, you know, why sex is, you know, designed for marriage and just giving them that healthy understanding, um, number one. And then two, you know, we do monitor them. We help, you know, help them see, thankfully we have not, we have not dealt with it in our house, but I know just from teachers and my daughter having older, you know, having her guy friends, that it's so prevalent. And even it's in schools. I mean, a friend of mine who's a high school teacher says that, you know, they have it on their phones in the classroom. Mm. So I, especially with my eighth grade son, you know, we're asking him about what's the locker room like? What are, you know, guys yeah. talking about? What are you seeing? Mm-hmm. And just keeping that open conversation. Okay. This is 90% of eight to 16 year olds. Boys and girls have viewed porn online. Ninety percent, most while doing homework. There's oh. 372 million pornography pages on the internet. What? Yikes! Do y'all yeah. have like a special filter you like, or anything um, on your home? Like, do you have home computer rules? I know with yeah phones. I mean, kind of we like, do have a filter. It's funny nowadays. No one even uses our. Like I know. Desktop. Right. Computer. Nobody uses that's what I'm saying with your phone. You could just like Google anything right there. Yeah. So I mean, you know, phones downstairs. I mean, it's it's impossible to constantly monitor them twenty four seven. That's what I'm thinking. Know? Like that's why the whole conversation, being open, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you're not gonna be able to like bubble wrap your kids. Right. Right. And you kind of right. want exposure to some things to happen before they go to college so that they have a foundation to pull from. You wouldn't take a little baby chick and throw it in the middle of a highway. I mean, you know, yeah. like you want to have some of that. So that is, again, this whole keeping that open and being a soft place to land if they have a hard thing to share, like an eating disorder, like a pornography addiction, that, that you won't be so shocked and horrified. A teen of pregnancy, something that, or drug addiction, whatever your child brings to you that, um, that has happened because sin is, is in the world. It just is. It's a broken place. Yeah, it's a broken place. Yeah. And that we just, can't assume our kids are perfect and wonderfully <laughs> kept from every sin, just like we haven't been, um, right. that we can respond with grace, like you said. Um, but yeah, good. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just to say, just, you know, keep like, I said earlier, putting things out on the table. So before, you know, mm-hmm. they would even necessarily be experiencing that, like I said with my son, you know, talking about like, is it in the locker room? Like just being proactive instead mm-hmm. of, 
keeping our, you know, head in the sand and just being like, Ooh, that's a hard topic. And so I'm just going to not address it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared of it. So I'm going to pretend like it's not really happening. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like you had said, reorienting, reorienting, I cannot say that word, reorienting (laughs) them to the truth of the gospel in the everyday. Mm -hmm. So if they say anything that is outside of, no, 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 that's not true. You know, that's not true. That's not, no, God sees you and he sees perfect because of Christ's righteousness. Like, um, not lecturing, but just kind of, what do you think God thinks about that? What do you think, are you feeling that God's angry with you or what's motivation behind that? Just continuing to direct them to the truth of the gospel in the moment to moment. Yeah. Growing up. Time. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> it's an opportunity. I it's have an to opportunity. I always say that. There's a book, Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp, that's my favorite book for parenting teens. But that was really um, a great mind shift for me going into the teenage years is thinking of it as an opportunity instead of dreading and mm. being scared of it. Mm. It's okay. an opportunity to shepherd their hearts. Yeah, because those toxic beliefs like you were talking about your daughter had – about herself, we can also have those going into parenting, you know, like, oh, this is going to be terrible. These years are going to be horrible. They're never going to talk to me. And those beliefs influence our engagement. But if we have that positive spin, no, this is an opportunity. No, this is going to be good. No, this is a chance to direct them before they leave, leave our house. Mm -hmm. Uh, That will impact our choices to engage them and not be scared all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so often parents just kind of, you know, throw their hands up and they're like, well, they're a teenager. What can I do? Mm. We, this is our opportunity. I mean, they, we are their parents and we can shape their hearts and understanding. Yeah. Such a good word. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much for being on today. Where can people find you online if they want to keep following you and learning from you? I am at, um, kristenhatton.com. And it's spelled H-A-T-T-O-N is Hatton. Yes. Kristen with a K-R-I-S-T-E-N. There's so many different ways to do that name. There are. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being on. I hope, you know, next time you're in Dallas, we can maybe grab coffee or something. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And y'all check out her book, Get Your Story Straight, if you have a teen or you want to start a little group. Uh, That would be a great resource for that. All right. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Maybe you needed that reminder today of your worth and how God sees you. When he sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus and not that you have to keep up this standard that you put in your mind. I know I struggle with is wanting to feel like I'm a failure and not recognizing God's abundant grace and love over me, particularly because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. Okay, I know we also brought up eating disorders, and if you need any more resources, please go to the show notes. Kristen has written a few different things, and I've linked them there. I've also done an episode called It's Not About the Food with my dear friend Carrie Castle and her counselor, or a counselor that's a friend of hers. So, Go check that episode out. I'll put that in the show notes too. And I'm praying for your summers. If it is harder than you'd like for it to be, which I totally get, I did post a little Insta story last week with some tips for particularly moms of little ones. Um, But I think it was helpful even for me to think through the intentionality. And then, you know, there's also days where you just 
let things go. Like, let the ideals go and just let kids be. And maybe it's an ice cream and movie kind of day. Um, we have done that too, especially post 4th of July. We all needed a little recovery day. But uh, if you want to go look for that, it's in the Insta stories. And I don't know if you guys know, but um, if you go to someone's profile on Insta- Instagram, at the very uh, underneath their description, there's highlighted Insta stories. So they're little circles and they have labels underneath. I have labeled it, um, I think, help something with help. It should be one of the first ones there. Um, But I hope that is uh, going to encourage you and lift you up and give you some new ideas or just remind you of ideas to maybe finish the summer well with your kids because we only get so many. That's the, the, the shame and the guilt that we put over ourselves. It's like, oh, I only get so many. I want to maximize it, but I'm exhausted and this is a lot of work. And so acknowledging that, yes, it is hard and yes, it is good, the work you're doing. And if you are balancing working outside the home and the summer thing, I totally get that that is a lot if you're working from home and balancing the summer thing. But I'm praying for some rest for you. Uh, It's been really helpful to me to be with friends and to laugh and to get away and to just have more time to work at a pace that matches my personality. So I hope that's true for you too. Um, All right. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.